Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, before I share with us this morning, I'm going to do a little interview. We get to hear from Allie Bryan. Hi. All right. So, Allie, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Were you brought up in any kind of a religious background? Um, not necessarily. Like, when I was younger, I went to church. My mom would take us, and the whole family would come. But when I turned seven, my dad was like, I don't want to go anymore. So we kind of stopped going. And my sister followed the path of my mom with her faith. And I went with my dad, and I was very apathetic towards it. And you and Gracie, where are you, Gracie? Right over there. You and Gracie are like best buds. <laughs> yes, we So are. I want to know who gets credit for finding H2O among you two. <laughs> Gracie, Gracie, Gracie gets the credit. You know, she kind of dragged me along, and I was like, sure, I'll come, you know, I'll come. <laughs> so when you first started coming around, actually a long time after you, you first started coming around, we had a discussion, and you described yourself as an agnostic. Tell me about that. Okay, I'm one of those people, I'm like, I gotta put a label on something, so there was this guy, and he was like, hey, I'm an atheist, like, what are you into? And I'm just like, well, <laughs> you know, I'm very apathetic, so I looked up really quick, you know, so on the slide, I'm like, oh, oh, I'm agnostic, you know, and so I can see him like, hey, and he's like, oh, cool, and I was like, yes, it's very cool, it's very cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, you expressed interest in a starting point conversation. Yes. What is it that motivated you to want to sit down with somebody and talk about it? Well, it was from the Pathfinders group because I came like two sessions before and they were like, oh, well, starting point. I was like, okay, starting point, cool. It's not for me. Then I went to Pathfinder and I was like, you know what? After hearing the message of H2O, I was like, okay, we'll do it. And I sat down with John and I think it was one of the best decisions I made to this day. Did not know she was going to say that. Um, what else do I want to ask you about? Uh, so, oh yeah, you, should, you said several profound things. If you remember, when we were talking, you said something that I paused and told you how profound it was. Do you remember what that was? Yes, during our first Pathfinders, not Pathfinders, starting point, um, he talked to us about sin, and I was just like, well, the reason I haven't come to anything is because if you admit that you're a sinner, and if you admit that it's real, it becomes real. And most people don't want to admit something because they realize, oh, this is reality now. I think that's the moment when I re realized that God was really working on your heart. Um, and then the next week, uh, I remember Megan and I were together, and you came in, and you were visibly giddy. And you were, just, you were just different. And you gave an illustration of where Jesus was at in your life. You remember that? Yes, I gave two. The first one was, I'm like, I'm, at, I'm a loading bar, you know, on your computer. And it's kind of just loading. I'm like, I'm at 94%, John. I'm almost there. <laughs> and then he was like, you want to describe it a different way? I'm like, Jesus' foot is in the door. I'm like, he is just right there. And he's like, I am not letting you close this door. So that's, that was my profound, if he says, illustration. <laughs> I probably should have asked, uh, but I did tell you be right before the service that I was going to show this image of you being baptized. It's the finger gun. Okay, one. so I need to ask, what's going on here with the finger guns? Here's the thing, I don't finger gun. Like, I don't, like, the college group knows that is not my yes. thing. I like, finger gunning is not my thing, but it was just like, okay, we'll do it. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Um, and tell me, uh, then you went to the college retreat. What did you get out of the college retreat? I got a lot of things out of it, but the one moment that stuck out to me the most was when they're like, go and have your like alone time with God. And I went out into the woods, I went to our fire pit, and I played, he was just like, play this song in your head. And it was um, Neptune by Sleeping At Last. College group knows it because I put it in our group chat. But um, he was just, and the song's basically about like broken communication. And I was, he's just in my ear the whole time while I'm listening to it. He's just like, you know, you just come to me when things are bad. You come to me when things are broken. And I'm just like, that's so true. And one of the verses are, is that I want to love you, but I don't know how. And that's how I felt. I'm like, I want to be here. I want him to be my father. And this is when I had the label of like, I am a Christian, but I didn't realize how broken that communication was. So I'm there in the woods, just crying, looking at this guy with my sunglasses on, because no one could see that, you know. And, <laughs> and it just broke inside of me. And that's when I truly let him in. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, round of applause. Oh, you have a verse one show. I do, I yeah, do. Yeah, Allie told me she had a verse that she wanted to share here before we're done. Okay, so the verse is John 4:48, which half of it is, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous sins and uh, signs and wonders? Miraculous. <laughs> and, <laughs> we better get that one right. Yeah. Miraculous signs, wonders, signs not miraculous <laughs> sins. Okay. And because John mentioned how he saw this joy in me, and I want to say this to people who are on the fence and they don't know and they're just spiritually curious, it's, yes, there is joy, but you have to remember that there is another side of the coin, and it's not going to be happiness straight through. There's going to be hardships, and having Jesus through with those hardships make it so much easier, and it makes it worth it. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So wise young woman, Hey, let's bow our heads before the Father. God, we ask you to speak to us today. Lord, as we begin this new series, it's easy to just say that casually because somebody's going to speak, and that's me. It's easy to just say those words, but we want that to come from our heart. We know that you're speaking, God. We know that you speak through people to people. We know that you speak through your word, the scripture, to us, and we ask you to do so today. We ask you that our hearts, we choose, we choose that our hearts would be humble, receptive, eager to hear, quick to put into practice. May this day change our life. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are beginning a new series called Old School here this morning. And uh, Jim and I together are going to be looking at a number of different uh, books in the Old Testament and seeing what people have written literally 3,000 years ago has to do with our lives. So for the first three weeks, we're going to look at what's called the wisdom literature. The wisdom literature is the book of Proverbs, and then the book of Ecclesiastes, and then the book of Job. We could spend uh, a semester on each of these. We're going to cover these uh, just one topic per week just to whet your appetite that each of us would say, you know, I want to go read Proverbs this week. 
As you know, the Bible Project creates a number of brilliant videos, and so we have a little introduction to today's talk from them. There are three books in the Bible that have come to be called the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And all of these books are addressing the same set of questions. What kind of world are we living in? And what does it look like to live well in this world? So how to be good at life? Yeah. So each of these books tackles these questions from a unique perspective, and it's important to understand all of them to get a fully biblical perspective on the good life. So as a thought experiment, you could actually imagine each of these books as a person. So Proverbs would be like this brilliant young teacher, and Ecclesiastes the sharp middle-aged critic, and Job would be this weathered old man who's seen a lot in his day. We're going to start by meeting the book of Proverbs, the brilliant young teacher. And she's not just smart, she's smart about everything, work, relationships, sex, spirituality. She has incredible insights things you wouldn't see on your own. Yeah, she would be the perfect friend to have around when you need really specific advice. So what makes her so smart? Well, Proverbs can see things that most people don't see. She believes that there's an invisible creative force in the universe that can guide people in how they should live. And you can't see it, just like you can't see gravity, but it affects everything that we do. So what's this force? Well, in Hebrew, it's called chokhmah. And it usually gets translated into English as wisdom. It's an attribute of God that God used to create the world. And chokmah has been woven into the fabric of things and how they work. So wherever people are making good or just or wise decisions, they're tapping into chokmah. And whenever someone's making a bad decision, they're working against chokmah. Right, or as it says in Proverbs chapter 1, the waywardness of fools will destroy them, but the one who listens to wisdom lives in security. So it's like a moral law of the universe. Yeah, it's a cause-effect pattern, and no one can escape it. And Proverbs personifies all of this as a woman. Yeah, Lady Wisdom. Right, and she roams around the earth calling out, making herself available to anyone who's willing to listen to her and to learn. Which leads to the second thing Proverbs believes, that anyone can access and interact with wisdom and use it to make a beautiful life for yourself or for others. You can create with it like a designer. Yes, in fact, chokmah in Hebrew isn't simply intellectual knowledge. The word is also used to describe a skilled artisan who excels at their craft, like woodworking or stonemasonry. So you show you possess chokmah when you put it to work and develop the skill of making a good life. Okay, that makes sense. So let's do this. Let's go find some wisdom. But before you do, Proverbs has one more really important thing to consider. Chokmah isn't some impersonal force. It's an attribute of God himself. And so in Hebrew thought, your journey to becoming wise has to begin with what Proverbs calls the fear of the Lord. It's this healthy respect for God's definition of good and evil. And true wisdom means learning those boundary lines and not crossing them. Now, all those ideas you just unpacked are in chapters 1 through 9 in Proverbs. But when I think of the book of Proverbs, I think of the collection of sayings, the Proverbs themselves. Tell me about those. Yeah, those are what you find in chapters 10 on to the end of the book. It's a collection of hundreds and hundreds of Proverbs about any and all aspects of life. And chokmah gets applied to them, resulting in this wise guidance to help you find a path towards success and no matter what you do. If I design my life with these sayings, life is going to be good. 
Yeah, or as Proverbs puts it, it'll give health to your bones, prosperity, a long, rich life. Which is a really big claim. But you can see how it's often the case. Wise people, they tend to do better. Things usually work out well for them in life. And so that is the promise and the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is... All right. That's good, right? Is anyone surprised that wisdom is portrayed as a woman? If there's any dude here that is saying he's surprised, you're single. Um, yeah, that was really good. That was really good. I want to tell you why I love Proverbs, and Proverbs are what I'm going to talk about here today. Uh, the Proverbs fathered me. And what I mean by that is at this point in my life as a young college student, I had had a very distant relationship with my dad. He wasn't very engaging. With each of my children, I've sat down with them. My wife and I have had the, the privilege of sitting down with them together and, and coaching them. And when we have any concerns, when we see something, and it's usually her, then we sit down with our kids and we coach them and, and we're involved in their lives. But I didn't have that growing up. And so when I began to read the Proverbs, something just stood out to me. I think it'll stand out to you. This is not on the presentation, but I want you to just listen. Proverbs 1.8, hear, my son, your father's instruction. Proverbs 1.10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Proverbs 1.15, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Proverbs 2, verse 1, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you. Proverbs 3, verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching. Proverbs 3, verse 11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Verse 21, my son, do not lose sight of these. Chapter 4, verse 1, my son, hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Verse 10, hear, my son. Verse 20, my son. Chapter 5, verse 1, my son, be attentive to wisdom. Verse 7, and now, my sons, listen to me. Chapter 6, my son. Verse 3, do this, my son. Verse 20, my son. Chapter 7, verse 1, my son. And verse 24, and now, my sons, listen to me. And for me, when I noticed this pattern, I realized this book that we call Scripture, this is a dad speaking to his sons. So listen up. I want to speak, first of all, just to parents, but especially to dads, because we men have a tendency to be a little passive. What Proverbs gives us is verse after verse after verse after verse. It's a guidebook for how to be intimately engaged in your kids' lives. How cool would it be if some of us as a result of today's talk, husband and wife would go home and would look at the Proverbs and come up with a game plan for all the different ways to be engaged in the lives of their children. But I think there's more going on here than just a dad talking to his son. Because as a young Christian, I realized, well, God now has become my father. And as I read these Proverbs, it's as if God is pulling me aside like my dad never did. It's like God telling me, I want to tell you how to think about sex. 
I want to talk to you about diligence. I want to talk to you about your character. I'm going to talk a lot about your speech. And it was as if God was fathering me through the Proverbs. And so the Proverbs, to me, literally became this moment when I felt like God was just speaking to me and pulling me aside like a dad. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18, is an interesting verse. Let your fountain be blessed. Let us pause. Does anyone know what a fountain is? Don't answer that. <laughs> I just want you to realize that this is a male talking to a male. And he says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. I think it's not supposed, yeah, in her love. Do we have verse 20? Okay. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom, bosom of an adulteress? So I hope I have inspired everyone to just read the Bible as a result. <laughs> I know for me, when I read this, it's like, this is very clearly a, a distinction that God has one perspective on sex, and it's apparently beautiful. It's apparently supposed to be intoxicating. God is not a prudish God. But he's also warning me as a young man, back then, warning me to not follow the thinking of our culture. And I began to see a distinction in all of the Proverbs that there is God's way of thinking and that there's culture's way of thinking. So, like I said, we could talk about Proverbs for weeks after weeks after weeks. I just want to share with you three of the main things that I've gotten out of the Proverbs. And the first is this, Proverbs redefined wisdom for me. It redefined wisdom for me. I want you to think about what our culture says where life is found. That message through all different forms of media, that message stands in contrast to what God says about how to think. Proverbs 1.7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord, the number one thing to learn anything at all. If you want to be a wise person, the number one thing is what? To fear God. To realize there is a God, and God has spoken, and I must obey. That is the beginning. That's just the beginning, the first baby step of a child. The very first step is to know there is a God, and I must revere him. I must respect him as the creator and me as the creation. It's interesting that without the fear of the Lord, you can be the smartest person ever. You can be an Einstein or a Stephen J. Hawking. And yet without the fear of the Lord, you've climbed a mountain, you've reached the top, 
and yet you've discovered you climbed the, mount, the wrong mountain in life altogether. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then look what it says. Fools despise wisdom and, and instruction. Wisdom and foolishness. Wisdom means coming to God and saying, you're God, I'm not, I'm going to reverence you. I'm going to look at your word and I'm going to study it. And I'm going to let you change the way I think. And the opposite of that, foolishness, is a person saying, yeah, I kind of know the right way. I kind of know what to do here. So Proverbs redefined wisdom for me. There's an interesting verse in 1 Corinthians. Paul says in chapter 8, verse 2, if anyone thinks he knows anyone, anything, if anyone thinks he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. In other words, Paul is speaking to a church, and it's a church that has sat under his teaching for three years, and yet the church is worldly. They're Christians. They're forgiven. They know God, but they have been so affected and infected by culture that Paul calls them on that, and he says, listen, if you guys think you know anything, you really don't know anything at all yet because the beginning is to fear God and to realize I really know nothing. I don't know if I can communicate this point in the power that it affected me, but when I began to realize this, it was as if God was saying, I want to speak to you about every area of life. I want to tell you how to think. I want to change everything about you. In, in the words of Eugene Peterson, who wrote a book with this title, and the title of the book was, Eat This Book. Eat this Bible. Devour it. Feed upon it. And so this is the first thing that Proverbs showed me. I need to have a total revamp of my mind. I need to understand what godly wisdom actually is. And there's a second thing. Proverbs taught me the wisdom of getting counsel. Proverbs taught me the wisdom of getting counsel. And we have not spoken about this enough here at H2O. So between my first and second year in college, I had a major decision on what I was going to do with the summer. A buddy of mine encouraged me to go to LT which stands for leadership training. It's a week-long uh, summer conference that Savannah has been to. I, I, I expected a shout-out for LT. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, woo. So for me, after my, before that decision was made, I had led a Bible study out of my home, and this Bible study had grown to like 40 people. It's like a beginning of a church. So there is nothing more obvious to me than I need to just go home and lead this Bible study. A friend of mine who was mentoring me said, you know, I think what you need is to go to LT. I think what you need to do is put yourself under mature Christians who can teach you 
and give you wisdom. And I thought that's total foolishness. Not interested in doing that. But I finally decided I'm going to listen to what others around me say, and I went to LT. And it was horrible. Um, it was actually great, but it was horrible at first. Because I remember the first meal, which was a hard-boiled egg and a banana. And I was used to like three bowls of Captain Crunch. I thought, I'm going to die here. And at this point in my life, I was volunteering 400 hours in physical therapy. I basically had to work full-time for free all summer long to apply to physical therapy school. And I didn't have any money at all. And so as I, I would get dressed for work, and I'm wearing a shirt and a tie, pants and the rest, I was wearing a shirt and a tie, and I didn't have a, enough money to buy bus fare. And so I had to ride a bike seven miles through the D.C. traffic, Washington, D.C. It was horrible. It was really, really rough. And when I got there, I worked at a rehab hospital. And rehab hospitals have older people. And as people get older, we tend to lose control of things, like our thoughts, our memories, or our bowels. And so there's a physical therapist who was a mean physical therapist because I was a Christian, and she was not. And so after riding my bike seven miles through the D.C. traffic, I cleaned up after the loose-boweled elderly at the rehab hospital. And I was thinking, I remember thinking, this summer is just so, it's just so hard. And I was riding my bike, and in D.C. they have these traffic lights sometimes at the bottom of a rolling hill. And I came to the bottom of the hill, and I tried to step on the brake, and it didn't work. And I realized, I am going to die. And so I bailed out and crashed my bike. Fortunately, I had a friend that could lend me his bike. And so the next day, scabs and all, I got back on my bike to head back to volunteer again in the rehab hospital, except this bike had toe clips. I had never ridden with toe clips. And so I came to a stop at a light, and then it was like, oh, no. Slow motion fall disaster. And I look back at that summer, and that summer was really hard. And yet that summer clearly changed my life. If you ask me, of all the summers that you've had in following Jesus, I would say 1981 stood out because that was the year I understood getting counsel. And as a result, it changed my life. Proverbs 11:14. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 19:20. Listen, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Proverbs 15:22. Without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. Proverbs 12:15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And my favorite is this little section in Proverbs 26. 
Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like a lame man's legs which hang useless is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Verse 8. Like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives honor to a fool. Verse 9. Like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Verse 10. Like an archer who wounds everyone is one who hires a passing fool or a drunkard. Verse 11, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool that repeats his folly. Verse 12, do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Guys, I want you to understand trusting in our own minds is instinctive. It's embedded into our nature. To just do what we think is right, to just follow our own counsel is just the most true thing about any of us. We all do what we think we should do. And the proverb says that's foolish because God's way are so distinctly different than man's way. We do not want H2O to be a church full of human wisdom, right? We want to be people of the word, people that are wise, people that have wrestled with scripture and thought deeply about all the different areas of life and have set our stake in the ground and said, I'm following the wisdom of God, not the ways of man. So who do you get counsel from? Someone who's wise. Someone that you can look at and say, this person, this community is a biblical community, a community that is following the ways of of God. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And I remember having so many conversations with the individuals that were mentoring me, and I would, the conversation would go something like this. Here's what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think? And then they'd share, and then I'd realize, huh, that's different than what I was going to do. And the more I got counsel, the more, more I became addicted to just sitting at the feet of wise people around me and asking them input for relationships, input for struggles that I have, input on how to study the scriptures, just wisdom on all of life. The responsibility of someone that you seek getting counsel from is not to tell you what to do. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. Our task is just to put a few pieces of the jigsaw puzzle on that for you so that you can see a clear picture. I was thinking about calling this talk stupid things I've done to ruin my life, <laughs> but uh, decided against that. Third, Proverbs taught me about all of life. And I just want to say that just about any area that you can imagine is found in the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 2. This is one section that I 
I hope you all take to heart and can go home and, and meditate on. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you. So what are we to do? Receive. That means to openly invite God to speak into your life. And then what? What's the next verb? Treasure. To value. God has spoken, and we have these words from God. To receive and to treasure. Making your ear attentive to wisdom. Making your ear attentive implies that I may not like what I want to hear, but I'm going to force myself to just listen to it. Inclining your heart to understanding. That means to lean in, to lean into the scripture. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, that means to pray. That means to ask God, God, give me wisdom. Speak to me. Let your thoughts cover my mind. Wash away my immature thinking. Change me. Verse 4, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. That implies intensity. That implies time. More than a five-minute drive-through. Verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. I've shared this with you before that, that there's no verse that I have quoted more to God in prayer than James 1.5 that says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And God, it's as if God is standing in front of us today and saying, listen, I want to speak to you. I want to change your life. I want to make you better husband, better wife, a better father, a better mother, a better friend, a better ambassador to a lost world, a better worker, a better son of God or daughter to God. I want to speak to you. Would you please come seek after me? One of the things that struck me and was shared in the video. Wisdom and folly are contrasted. Folly is also a woman inviting people to dine in her home. And wisdom is a woman inviting people to dine in her home. God and culture both have the same message to us. The good life is found here, but only one is telling us the truth. There's a lot more I wish I had time to share with you. I wish I had time to talk about discernment and correction and speech and laziness and persistence and friendship, verse after verse that's spoken to me. But I wanna take us back to the Corinthian church the Corinthian church is one that I love maybe more than others because it's a lot like us. A lot of the Corinthians were unchurched. 
a lot of the Corinthians were not brought up in a Christian home. And so when they learned about Jesus, radical changes had to be made. They were so influenced by the sexual thinking of their culture. There above the city of Corinth was the temple of Aphrodite, which had a thousand prostitutes to service the men of the city. If they said of a person, of a woman, well, she's a Corinthian girl, that was the same as calling her a prostitute. This was a city that was inundated with ungodly thinking. And yet, God did something really cool. He created a church for the spiritually curious. But it became effective only to the degree that they were able to say, what does wisdom say? And I want to close here as we go into worship with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1. And I want you to think about Paul here. It's as if Paul is speaking out against all the worldly wisdom that he had been exposed to. And he says, where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world. If you follow Paul's thinking, he's saying when you consider Jesus Christ dying on the cross, which much of the world rejects, hasn't God made the wisdom of the world foolish and empty and bankrupt? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God, through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly, the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. God shows what is low and despised in the world so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. The personification, the fulfillment of wisdom is found in the person of Jesus and in the words of Jesus, which stand in stark contrast to everything that our world has to offer. I don't know where you're at this morning. Some of you may be at a point of needing to have a starting point conversation and get this Jesus thing figured out. Some of you have come to faith rather recently and you're just beginning. And I just implore you, eat this book, devour it. Let it become your best friend. Let it speak to you. Some of us kind of have one foot in Jesus and we've got one foot, or at least a toe, in the world. And our reasoning and our thinking is more worldly 
than it is godly. And some of us have gotten down the road and just gotten busy and busy and busy and busy. And that's where many of us are at. And we need to return and just sit at God's feet and say, would you speak freshly to me? I'd like you guys to stand and then Bobby's going to lead us into worship. Father God, we want to turn away from any thinking that imagines that we know better, that imagines that life can be found in any other place but in you, Jesus. This is a dry and weary land. This is a broken world. Why would we drink from a cesspool? that we know is poisoned. Why would we follow the thinking of people that don't think much of you? Forgive us, we ask, and draw us to yourself. Through your grace and by your work of your spirit, ask that you would draw us and do a new and deeper work in our hearts just for ourself, for our marriage for our friendships, for our children for people that we know that don't know you we ask you for a new and deeper work draw us into the way of wisdom and thank you for becoming for revealing yourself through Jesus the wisdom of God and our salvation we come now and worship in Jesus name